Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. I don't necessarily think narrowing down your customer base is a bad thing. You, you really want customers that understand what you're doing and that appreciate what you're doing. Hey, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each and every week, you learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn how to tell a story through a video, why you actually do not want too many types of customers, and what kind of questions to answer in your product video. Today, I'm joined by Adam Green from Bibliotheca. Bibliotheca is the entire biblical library separated into volumes designed purely for reading and was started in 2014 and based in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, Adam. Hi, Felix. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. So a couple uh, you know, details about the business that, or about the product that I already mentioned, but can you tell us a little bit more about it? Where did the idea behind the, the original product come from? In a nutshell, I think the idea it comes out of a very personal experience that I've had with the Bible, uh, which is that I grew up in a pretty... Um, rigid sort of fundamentalist environment and the bible was uh very central to everything about life in that environment uh yet it wasn't really appreciated or enjoyed as literature um and so it wasn't until much later that i started digging into kind of the roots of the faith of my youth and trying to understand things a little bit better that I came across um, some really great work by biblical scholars, um, one in particular, Robert Alter, who do a really nice job of unpacking the value of the Bible as human literature. And it was really surprising and engaging for me to interact with it in that way. And I thought it would be nice to have a format a physical expression of this literature that sort of emphasize that aspect uh, of the content. So that's what I set out to do with Bibliotheca. Got it. Now, who is the typical buyer that you have in mind? Because like you you mentioned, you, you're alluding to is that the, the Bible has always looked the way it looked for a long time. You came along and introduced the way new way to consume, a way new way, a new design of how it should look. How did you, who, who are you, who, who did you imagine in your head would purchase, would own one of your, your products? Well, uh, I'll have to answer that in two parts. First of all, it's, it's, um, it's not a new, it's not a new way actually to experience this literature. Uh, the literature, especially the, the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible, uh, comes out of oral tradition. So people kind of carry these stories around for, for hundreds and thousands of years until um, someone finally wrote them down in in the form that we have them today. Um, but when they wrote them down, they weren't all collected at once and presented, oh, here's the Old Testament. Here's, you know, 40-something books uh, ready for your reading pleasure in one volume. Uh, they were they were written in into individual scrolls. So you'd have... The first book of Samuel is one scroll. The second book of Samuel is one scroll. The book of Genesis is with one scroll. Or maybe that later on you'd get the first five books of Moses as one scroll. But 
the idea is essentially that these books were passed around as uh, individual titles and appreciated as individual works of literature. Um, and so my project was really not so much to come up with a new way, but to sort of revert to an older way, the original way of, uh, or a more original way of encountering these texts. Even the New Testament texts were passed around as individual texts for hundreds of years before they were combined. Uh, and and this is long before, I mean, when they were written, they weren't known as the New Testament. In fact, they weren't even considered to be part of the, the Holy Bible. That, that was a later development as well. So, um, and I thought that was interesting. And a lot of people, especially with my background, don't know anything really about the formulation um, of the Bible. I didn't. I know that. And I know a lot of people in my circle didn't really know much about the evolution of the Bible and how these texts had sort of um, slowly become accumulated and decided upon. And in fact, even the, the earliest editions of biblical literature that we see combined into uh, a single volume don't agree with the the editions we have today. In other words, there are works included in those uh, big compilations that we don't include anymore today. And there are works that we do include that weren't included in some of the earliest um, compilations of biblical literature. So in other words, what we call the Bible, I mean, the word Bible sort of implies one book, but really it's many books by many different authors over a large span of time. And uh, yeah, that's kind of a, that, that's a long rabbit trail. Sorry to explain that one aspect <laughs> no, of the question, right. but, yeah. it's, but it's an important part of the uh, of of the whole project. I think a lot of people have assumed, oh, the Bible's never been done like this before. But in fact, a few other people have sort of caught on to the same scent that I did, the sort of sensing the roots and the development of biblical literature, and have done similar projects. Over the centuries, uh, especially there have probably been six or seven other similar projects in the last 150 years, um, and so this was just my kind of reiteration of that, mm -hmm. saying, uh, "Hey, let's reconsider this. Let's let's talk about the Bible's literature again and try to enjoy it." Um, anyway, and the second the second part of that answer is, who did I think it would appeal to? Um, and my honest answer uh, is I wasn't – I honestly wasn't sure who it would appeal to at <laughs> all. I figured maybe I would get some bibliophiles, some book collectors, and maybe some, you know, some, I don't know, uh, seminary students or biblical studies nerds or something. Um, but what we found in reality, we, we, we funded this through Kickstarter initially – and what we found was that our, our customer base was incredibly varied. We have people from all different sorts of backgrounds. Um, uh, and that was really um, pleasing to see. I was very happy to see that it appealed to lots of different sorts of people and lots of different age groups uh, with lots of different um, faiths or no faith and um Certainly, the majority of our customers, I would say, are, are Christians. But uh, I've I've also enjoyed um, seeing uh, we've we've got a, a lot of Jewish uh, customers and a lot of um, atheist customers um, and Catholic and Orthodox and um, it's a, it's a very wide wide variety of customers mm -hmm. that we have. And I and I think that's because 
and this is sort of this sort of uh, takes us one step further into marketing strategy. Although when when I conceived of it, I wasn't thinking of that term in my head, marketing strategy. When I launched the Kickstarter campaign, I was determined not to align myself with any particular religion or denomination. I simply wanted to present these texts um, as the foundational and uh, and you know immeasurably influential um, texts that they are. But and they're also very beautiful. That's something that Robert Alter, who I mentioned earlier, demonstrates very well. Um, uh, th- these texts were meticulously crafted, many of them, and they're they're worth reading in their own right, whether you subscribe to any of the religions that spring out of them or not. Got it. Now, because there are different types of of uh, potential consumers, there are buyers, customers of of the product. You you went through a whole list of of uh, potential buyers that are completely different. I'm sure they have different reasons for for purchasing as well. How do you think about marketing? To, to 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 them if they have different reasons for 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 buying your products. Well, for me, I think um, marketing has always been really hard for me. I am not a I I I'm not a salesy guy. I don't I hate marketing jargon. I can't um, I can't bring myself to kind of to jump on that bandwagon where um, I don't know. I I I, I find that. Um, first I'll be a little cynical and then I'll, I'll try to be more positive, but I find that what I, what I see is there are a lot of us out there, uh, who are trying to get our own projects off the ground, who are trying to be creative. And, um, so what we do, what I've seen as a trend is we create these websites and we create this marketing copy that all this, all this jargon, um, that you see on the same you'd see the same kind of jargon on a corporate website like a you know a big corporation we're trying to give off the impression that we're established and we have a big team and um when we're not established we don't have a big team and really all we are are, are is we're creative people trying to get projects off the ground and try to um trying to basically skip the middleman i think that's what a lot of uh shopify um store owners are mm-hmm. doing and 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 kickstarters as well uh, that's how i funded my project um we're we're trying to skip the middleman we don't want to have to answer to uh venture capitalists or any kind of investors and and so i think that type of transparency is really important uh i think as opposed to trying to come off like we were the same as those really well-established corporations with 150 employees. I think just being being a guy who wants to do something um, that resonates with a certain kind of customer because they can relate to that and they understand it and it's it's the it's the truth and I think people can sense the truth and so I don't think that marketing it like I, I don't have any formal marketing strategies. Um, implemented into my business model. Um, all I have tried to do so far is is be really um, intentional about um, what it is. And so, when you ask about who, how I tr- how I market without having a really specific demographic I'm aiming for, 
um, I think what you what you do or what I do anyway is I just turn that back on myself and I say, well, let me just tell people what I care about and show them what I'm doing. And the people who are going to respond to to it are are going to respond to it. Um, I think, at least for me, um, you know, I'm a millennial. I know that most advertising is targeted at me. I can sense that, and I think, um, you know, that that comes through. And sometimes I go for it anyway, but sometimes it turns me off. And I think, you know, like I know you just want me to buy your thing. And I know you don't really care about your thing, and I know you don't really care about the people who made your thing or where it was, where it came from, or where the materials were sourced. Um, and you're, you're just trying to sort of, um, bedazzle me with how nice it would look in my living room or whatever. And, um, yeah, another rabbit trail, but I think, um, what I want my customers, I want whoever sees what I'm doing and, and understands it and appreciates it. Uh, that's who I, that's whose attention I want to get. And I don't have any special way of narrowing that down. Um, but I will say, you know, like I said earlier, I, I did try to keep religion out of it, out of the marketing. And I think that's one thing that's very different about my, my product than others, uh, you know, that deal with the same literature. Obviously most people who are publishing the Bible are Bible publishers and most Bible publishers are run by, um, you know, religious organizations, uh, and they kind of pitch to their, the demographic within their um, kind of religious circles. Why was that important to, to you to 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 take that approach or not take that approach? Why was it important to you uh, intuitively to to keep the religion out of the the marketing or the way you presented what you were creating? Um, well, I think first of all because you have to really ask yourself who do these texts belong to. Um, so many people claim to have to sort of possess them as their own. Does it belong to mainline Protestants? Does it belong to Catholics? Does it belong to Eastern Orthodox Christians? Does it belong to um, uh, Judaism? And or, or who? I mean, what what faith really does it belong to? Mm-hmm. It, I mean, the answer is. Uh, no one and everyone at the same time. And, and in my opinion is it belongs, it belongs to everyone. Of course, I think um, it was written by humans and it is for humans, human literature, like Homer is, is human literature. And, um, and, you know, we should, we should have access to it. And I think when you put religious language over top of it and kind of market it through um, you know, my upbringing, we called it Christianese. When you when you start talking in in the language of your immediate religious circle, you immediately alienate everyone outside of it. So, for example, if you're trying to, uh, if you're a Bible publisher, in fact, I know Bible publishers do this, and part of the reason I didn't do it is because I uh, was kind of trying to avoid this. But Bible publishers will sort of market their texts in a certain way. Um, they'll sort of refer to it as um, the Word of God, and um, and they'll sort of be really clear undertones of what that means um, specifically to them, and what it should mean specifically to their customers. And 
Um, and I think that's interesting because I, I don't think the Bible is only valuable to people who who hold that belief that the Bible is this uh, supernatural text. Um, and and so talking about it that way is kind of um, you know probably it's an unintentional thing I think Bible publishers are doing, but they're definitely saying, well, if you don't if you don't agree with our our pitch here, then it's really not for you. <laughs> or they're just trying to get the people who already agree with them to buy their product. And um, and I didn't want to I didn't want to dictate for anyone what they should or shouldn't believe about it coming to the product. I think it's it was really important for me to kind of say, look, um, well, to be honest, I mean, and I, and I don't talk much about my own personal beliefs, but to be honest, especially when I launched the project, I was very unsure even what I thought about the text. A lot, the, the idea sprang out of a time of exploration for me where I was really trying to figure out what it meant to me, having been the central text of my entire life up to that point. Um, I was really reevaluating why that was so and whether it would be in the future or not and how to view it moving forward um, in my adult life. Um, and so, you know, that that kind of re-evaluation, uh, turning over stones and whatnot, is what spawned the, the creative act of, of making Bibliotheca. And, um, and so the same goes for the marketing. I, I, it, it also inspired me not to pigeonhole the text uh, into, and, you know, I, I didn't want to give the impression that I knew what it was good for other than that, I know that it's important. I know that it carries a lot of weight, that it has been very influential, that it tells us a lot about ourselves, and that, you know, whether we're responding to it or rejecting it or building on it, um, it's kind of the text of the Western literary canon to be uh, contended with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if you like to think of it this way, but you you really took a, a product that, that already existed for the most part, right? There's already a, of course, biblical text out there already. And you brought it to an underserved market that was previously probably alienated. I think you you, you put it uh, perfectly where when there are, are Bible publishers out there that are specifically uh, catering their marketing and their product to a very specific type of person that can automatically alienate everyone else and you recognize that maybe directly or, or through the process of creating this the, your your product that there was you know, a group of people out there that might be interested in the bible that aren't that aren't going to fit into that marketing or that messaging that was coming from these bible publishers now when it comes to your your approach it, you, it sounds like you just kind of communicate what's important to you become very transparent and then you, you you're hoping to attract like-minded people or people that 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 are are interested in the, in the same or have the same kind of passions as you. How do you do this on a day-to-day basis? Like, what are you actually doing to to get your your beliefs, your passion, and that that transparency out to the world? Uh, well, I will say it started with um, the Kickstarter campaign, um, and I think it was really important uh, to work with with um, I, sorry, I'm stumbling here a little bit, but I had some really good friends who are, are great at telling stories uh, with video. And that was, 
I think the most powerful piece of the Kickstarter campaign. That was the thing that got passed around the most. People talked about it a lot. Um, later, it came up on lists of, you know, this is how you make a Kickstarter video. The, like, And it was sort of examined and, and dissected as sort of being a model Kickstarter video. And I can't take any credit for that. That was my friends, um, Daniel Williams and Joseph McMahon, who, um, who shot and directed that. Um, and I think that telling of the story in... Uh, in that in a video environment where people could see my face and they could see me working on the product and they could see me and um, the the some of the people in my life at the time when we launched the campaign um, interacting with the prototypes and and just hearing me talking about it um, unscripted was um, was really important just telling the story and I needed that because I I wouldn't have been good at just sitting down in front of the camera and and telling giving them an elevator pitch um, as you can tell already I kind of drone on and go on <laughs> rabbit trails but like uh, these guys are really good at kind of directing me and um, they wouldn't allow me to read off of a script they asked me questions they wanted me to answer and and then they they um, cut and edited this really beautiful seven minute and 46 second video. And that is much longer than sort of the recommended length on Kickstarter. Seven minutes and 46 seconds is, is kind of ridiculous actually. Um, but again, it was, that was one of the, the strongest uh, pieces of the, of the campaign. And so um, fast forward now we're uh, about three and a half years after the launch of the campaign. And just actually last fall, we, um, we created a new video to replace the Kickstarter video because obviously the Kickstarter video references the Kickstarter and the fundraising. And I think that was, we, we had it on our site forever, but it was kind of confusing. Uh, and we you know we had um, the actual books now we didn't have to film prototypes anymore. And so we wanted to just create something new. And um, so we spent um, a lot of 2017 actually working on this new video um, several different shooting sessions and recording sessions and um, we had it scored and, and all this stuff and I think that that type of tool is really important a storytelling tool um, that you can just sort of say here this is this is it this is the product and then if people after watching watching that kind of video are um, engaged and they can go dig and look for more specific information but um, but the idea is, and, and so, yeah, I mean, really, um, to answer your question, uh, what I'm doing on a daily basis now is, well, now I'm just doing customer service. You know, I'm dealing with customers who, you, who like their tracking numbers not working or uh, mm -hmm. their, their the product got shit, uh, damaged in shipment and, um, you know, that type of thing. That's sort of the day-to-day, -day, us developing new projects and um, uh, all that type of thing. but. But in 2017, as I was sort of, we, we launched the Kickstarter in 2014. We finally, after many delays, published and, and delivered the books at the end of 2016. And so last year, while we were sort of catching our breath after this really intense sprint um, of finishing the books, uh, we were reevaluating, okay, now how do we... Um, what content do we need to really explain what this is uh, so that 
when people come to our website, they understand it and, um, and can sort of decide whether they are, are interested or not. And it's not a cheap product either. So, um, you know, it, it does really take some pondering, you know, like I'll see Shopify is, is great because you can, um, you can sort of see how many visits people have made to the store before they purchase. And I see there, there are a lot of people who have made quite a few visits to the store, um, mm-hmm. before actually purchasing. Um, cause it's not, you know, it's not a small purchase, but, uh, it's the book that's made with, you know, really, uh, fine materials and, uh, materials that come from companies that treat their employees well. And, uh, and it was manufactured by a company, um, that treated some treated his employees as well and uh, paid them well. So, it, you know, it's it's kind of it's worth what what you pay for. It takes some time to at least commit to 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 paying for it, right? Right, and not many people want to spend you know one hundred and ninety nine dollars on books. You know, books is not yeah. is is no longer the type of thing, <laughs> the type of treasured object it was in the past, you know? Right, that makes sense. So I, I do want to talk about the Kickstarter now because a lot of the success, a lot of the the origin of the, the business sprang from the Kickstarter campaigns. So you, you, you launched two campaigns, uh, raising a, a combined over one and a half million dollars. And it sounds like a lot of it came down to to this video. And you mentioned it was over seven minutes long. Um, I, I did watch the, the video, the entire video, but you, like you said, it is longer than what is quote unquote recommended, what's quote unquote, you know, highest converting in terms of how long your video should be. Why do you think it worked for, 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 for you? Why do you think a seven minute video worked for your Kickstarter campaign? Well, I think, um, okay. So there's when, when I launched my campaign, I remember, I'm remembering now someone who was involved helping me build the campaign had sent me a link to this article. It was something like how to, how to raise, uh, a hundred K, uh, or how to, how to have this $100,000 Kickstarter campaign, something like that. And it kind of step-by-step step went through all these strategies that you should um, that you should implement into your campaign to ensure its success. And it was, you know, creating templates to send out to bloggers um, or publications, magazines, or whoever you wanted to feature your product. And there was all kinds of things about building a following before you launch and, um, there are all kinds of things about how long the video should be and the things the video should touch on. And that was, you know, it was very convincing. And I thought, well, if I don't do these things, the campaign's not going to be successful. And I had sort of set that email aside, uh, and, and the, and that link thinking, all right, well, I'll implement this after I launch. I'll go through and I'll like, I'll kind of do everything. Day one, I'll send out emails to bloggers. Day two, I'll, you know, I'll try to like be more active. I didn't even have an Instagram or Twitter account when I launched my campaign. So I wasn't really abiding by the rules and, and I was afraid of failure for that reason. Um, cause I thought in order to be successful, you've got to, you know, people have to know who you are and people have to, you have to have a following of some kind. Otherwise no one's going to hear about it. But the approach that we took in making the video and, and writing the description, the project description was very much, let's just tell people what we think is important about it. And if that ends up being more than two or three minutes long, 
so be it. And so we thought maybe five minutes would be a stretch, but then it ended up being seven, seven forty-six actually. And um, and I said, well, I honestly don't feel like I I would want to say any less about it, and I don't want it to feel rushed either. So let's just keep it at seven forty-six and see how it does. And so we did, and um, it went really well. I think that's just because. I, th- there's a weird paradox where I think, yes, if I had abided by all of those rules that this um, that this article has set out for me, I think, yeah, it would have been successful, maybe even more successful than it was. But I think what's interesting, especially about our world today, where we're really we're absolutely saturated with marketing and advertising, um, and like I said, we have a really um, sensitive uh, kind of the millennial generation is very sensitive to that because we've been advertised to our entire lives and just are constantly inundated um with advertising so we we sense it and i think what's interesting about my campaign is it is other than the fact that yes i was putting something out there and i was asking people to contribute to make it a reality there was no marketing in it there was no advertising in it it was just a um I, you know, I didn't do any Facebook ads. I didn't do any Instagram posts. I didn't do any, you know, I was, I was just really genuinely trying to get this thing made. My goal on Kickstarter was 37,000 and we ended up making 1.4 million in that 30 day campaign and, um, far exceeding our expectations. And I think part of that was that when people watched the video, they didn't feel like, Oh, this guy's trying to just—he's trying to get my money. I think what they saw and what was what was true, in fact, was that um, I desperately wanted to make this thing. I desperately wanted to see it become a reality because I wanted it for myself. You know, it's something that I wanted to to have and use myself, and that I genuinely thought other people could benefit from. And and I think in in this in this age and this in this time we live in um it's not common to come across people who um who they're excited about an idea not because they care about it but because they think it will generate capital and um and they think that maybe 5 years down the road somebody will buy it from them and i'm not you know, I don't want to get into whether that's the ethics of that or not. You know, I don't really care. But I think that's that's where um, a lot of people can can easily go wrong. Where you're you're coming out with a product that's that's its importance is negligible. Um, maybe some trinket that you can use for your the current iPhone model, but then you'll have to throw it away when the next iPhone model comes out. And, but it'll be um, so hyped up and the marketing will be so um, in your face and, and sort of it, the uh, the seller is trying to tell you, you just need this thing in your life. Um, you can tell, you can sense that there's no real passion there for this product. Clearly, who would care about some some like iPhone gadget that much you know, nothing, it's not going to be life changing. Um, but I think when you, when you find projects and these, these types of projects exist, 
all over Kickstarter. You know, Kickstarter is a mix of a lot of different types of projects, but but I have I have seen a lot of projects where I see in the creator a, a real desire to see something they care about made. And Kickstarter really is the only platform that makes sense because um, no investor in their right mind would, you know, would would give money to the, their little passion project. And that, I think, is what happened. I was just mm-hmm. trying to be honest about what I wanted to do. And it kind of it blew up and took me off guard. And that that presented its own uh, uh, problems, being unprepared for the size of the campaign. But um but it was a good problem to have, obviously. Right. Yeah, I think I think the the longer video format allows you to have that time to be more transparent and to to allow people to see the the passion of authenticity coming through. And I think when you do have a shorter video within like maybe a minute or maybe thirty seconds in some cases, you're kind of forced to be more salesy and pitchy because you have to get everything out there as succinct as possible when you have that opportunity to to talk more about the intention, the the reason behind why you're launching this campaign, creating this product, you're allowed to do that a little bit um, you have the room, the runway to do that with a longer video. So when you were when you and your team were putting together this this uh, video and because you've gone through this experience now a couple of times, how what have you learned about how to tell a story through through a video? Well, I do think to to kind of get what I just said a little bit, I'd still think it's important to um, to give the gist of the project early on in the video, so that mm-hmm. you, you know you're you're kind of saying um, here's here's the ba- here's the project in a nutshell, and you know there it is. If you wanted to stop watching the video now, you could basically. Um, but if you're still interested, there's more, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of the vibe that we go for with our videos. Cause we know not that many people are probably less than half of the views, probably far less than half of the views that we have on, like you can measure that on Vimeo, how many people actually finish the video or not. Um, it's, it's definitely less than half of the people who watch the video finish Mm -hmm. it. Um, and it's always been that way, even with the Kickstarter, the original Kickstarter video. Um, that, that was, you know, that was the key to our success. That video, N- not that many people finished it. Um, so I, I still think it's important to say what you need to say in the first two minutes. Um, but I also feel like it's important to draw people in with something more than yes, marketing jargon. You can't. You can't just give people an elevator pitch, but of course, it depends on the nature of their product. You know, I like like I said before about the iPhone gadget. The iPhone gadget could be, you know, some little applicate or some little um, fancy case for my iPhone that that helps helps me utilize the potential of my iPhone. That can be useful to me, um, but I don't want you to sell me on the fact that it's going to change my life. I just want you to tell me what it is, that it might be kind of nice, that it'll improve my life. It's got to be more casual. I think you have to sort of weigh the product uh, against the marketing and they have to match. I think a super long video in that case where it's a very clear product, a very clear reason, and you make it too long, it just it might not even fit, right? It might not work because I might be thinking, why, why do I need a seven-minute video to explain an iPhone case? Right, right. Right. Um, yeah, so 
yeah, you, you've sort of got to find the proper vehicle for the content you're trying to deliver. That's mm-hmm. um, that's always something that I'm thinking about. And I I feel that the way that we did the video and the way that we've done our our imagery and our language all sort of lends itself to this to my own personal view of the text, which is that it's incredibly important and it's sort of um, infinitely valuable um, to read and enjoyable to read. Um, and that, you know, that, that physical objects in the modern age are, um, you know, it's important to think about how they, how they're made and how they get to us. And, um, and so there's a certain weightiness to it. And sometimes to be honest, like I even feel like our, our own videos are a little overdramatic, <laughs> but <laughs> I, but, um, but that's just sometimes because really it, 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 that I only feel that way when I'm worried about what other people are going to think. And, um, and I think that is, uh, to be honest, you know, I, I, I'm sure, we've lost some customers because think, Oh my gosh, these people just take themselves way too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy is, uh, you know, ridiculous or whatever. Um, but that's okay. It's okay. I think, uh, because I feel like at the end of the day, I'm, you know, I'm being genuine and, um, and I'm able to, to really communicate what I want to communicate. Um, and you know, I, I don't think, um, I don't necessarily think narrowing down your customer base is a bad thing. You you really want customers that understand what you're doing and that appreciate what you're doing. Um, if you're if you're just trying to get as many people as possible to buy your thing, um, you're just going to have a lot of a lot more <laughs> difficult customers to deal with, mm-hmm. and <laughs> um, you, you know you don't want that. So, um, and we've we've had we've had really great customers, I will say. So. Got it. Now you, you mentioned that your, your two, two friends that helped you put together this video, they helped you by asking you specific questions for you to answer during the video. Do you remember, recall what are some of the, what are some of the more maybe general questions that other, either Kickstarter campaign creators, or anyone that's creating a video to tell the story of their, their product, their company, what kind of questions should they try to answer in those videos? Well, I think that very important, especially for my project, was the question of why. Why did you do this? Why do you think it's important? Um, and that is a really, that's a hard question to ask. So it's an easy one to kind of, to give us, to give a um, kind of superficial answer to and move on or to not even answer at all and just move directly to the what, what is this thing? You know, what is it? Um, and I think that that is something that you really want to focus on is dwelling with the why. And I don't even know if our original Kickstarter video, um, answers that question that well, but I remember that being a really difficult one for me to answer. And I know they use pieces of my answer (laughs) on the video. Um, and so that that I think is what will set a product apart is if you have a creator or a team of creators who are really passionate about this thing, this product that they're making, you want to know why. You really you want to know why they're so passionate about it, why they care so much. Um, and if they just jump right into what it is, 
um, I think it's easy for potential customers to kind of get lost. Um, traditional marketing strategies is here's why you want this, basically. Um, here's why you need this in your life. But um, I think uh, a lot of people in our generation are, like I said, much more sensitive to that. And I, and I think um, oftentimes what we're looking for more than why I need it in my life is why does it exist in the first place? Does it have a purpose? And who are the people behind it? Where did it come from? That's what I want to know. Um, as a consumer, and that's what I think a lot of other people want to know. So that's that's the type of thing I, I try to communicate when mm-hmm. I'm talking about my project. Now you mentioned that this video, the latest one, was you also had got the video scored. Were you a part of that that process as well? Yes, it was uh, a long and painstaking process. It's hard mm-hmm. because I'm not a I'm not a particularly musical person, and I certainly don't know anything about music theory, but. Um, I worked with, uh, with someone to, to create an original score and it was, um, yeah. And so I'm giving him all these descriptions, like it needs to be a little bit more neutral here maybe mm-hmm. a little bit darker there, maybe a little bit lighter there. Of course, you know, he, ha- he just kind of has to take a stab at it when he goes back to the, um, to the recording studio, but, uh, it was a lot of fun. And um, I'm glad. I'm really glad we did it. And I think it, it is really well suited to the new video. Um, it's really somber, very um, atmospheric, and and it, it, you know it's got it's it's all it's all cello, so it feels very organic. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. But it was definitely it was a challenge for me because I am probably the most. Uh, difficult possible client to have when it comes to to that sort of thing because i'm so opinionated and i'm so particular but i didn't really have the tools so i felt bad for um for chris was his name chris doy j-o-y-e and he um but he was incredibly patient with me and um and spent a lot of time really trying to understand what it was I was going for, the emotion I was going for, and um, and I think he nailed it. Mm, awesome, yeah. The 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 list watching the the video, the second one, uh, I can certainly uh, it, the the sound is very immersive. It does pull you in. What what made you decide to go down this route instead of just you know finding maybe paying um, I'm not sure how much it costs to, to to purchase a some kind of soundtrack I guess for your video, but why not go down that route and just kind of be done with it? What made you decide that you wanted to create something original? It was actually the directors, the same the same two guys who uh, did the original video on Kickstarter. Um, they did this this newer video that we have up on our website, and um, Daniel and Joseph were, um, you know, they they didn't force me into it, but they did twist my arm a little bit and, and sort of say, "You really this this footage is really good." We, um, we worked with one of their really good friends, um, Eric, to to shoot the footage, and we rented these these really nice Cook lenses, and the footage was just looking so beautiful. And they were thinking, you know, we might as well just go all the way and and get an original score done for this. And so I said, okay, well, let's, you know, who do we work with? And they gave me a recommendation, and um, and. And there were, you know, there were a few points where I thought, man, this is a lot of work. This is a, this is a lot more money than I would have to spend. In fact, 
the um the first video the kickstarter video we used an artist um whose name is chris zabriski and he makes all of his music available for free you don't even have to pay him a royalty you just have to give him a credit which i think is really cool he's got all of his music up on spotify and soundcloud um and all sorts of different venues where you can access his music, listen to it for free, download it for free, and even use it in your uh, videos for free as long as you credit him. Um, and so I was, you know, we and we had used him for several videos because we did a couple update videos as well throughout the Kickstarter process. We did another video for um, a Kickstarter Gold campaign that we did last year, um, and then. Yeah, we were actually planning on using him for this video until they sort of cut the footage together and said we should get an original score done. But, you know, so that that was um, appealing to me, the idea that the video from start to finish would kind of be from scratch, that everything uh, would would everything that we used in the video would have been really made exclusively for the video. We didn't use any stock footage and we we didn't use any um, any music that was recorded for another purpose. You know, we we commissioned our own uh, composer to make a song. He commissioned his own uh, musicians to record it, and um, that just kind of made it feel a little bit more special to me. And we wanted this newer video to function for a long time, and and you know, we want it to be the introduction of Bibliotheca to the next five years. Of, of people who come and visit our website. Mm-hmm. So for anyone else out there that wants to invest in creating their own uh, their own video, first of all, and then also getting an uh, original score for it, how much, can you give an idea of how much time or how much budget you need? You don't give us details about your particular setup, but if they are to get started down this route, like how much are we talking about in terms of time commitment or, or how much would it cost? Well, videos are a lot of work, but I think they are the most important tool, especially for a Kickstarter campaign, uh, to um, to being successful. At least, and that's that's been my experience. And and I don't really know. I mean, I, it's it's hard to give a ballpark because it just really depends on what your needs are and where you're shooting and if you need actors or not and et cetera, et cetera. But um, I will say for the original Kickstarter campaign, <clears throat> I worked with really good friends and they knew that I didn't have any money. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> but I insisted on paying them and then they very kindly quoted me a very low, a, a low uh, price. Um, but obviously the success of the campaign enabled me to go back to them afterward and say, okay, really guys, how much, how much is this worth? You know? Um, <clears throat> but they were, willing had i failed or had i just barely met my goal they were willing to work for less than probably what their time was worth um definitely what definitely less than what their time was worth um because they were friends um but videos aren't cheap that's the other that's the other thing sometimes it you know the last video that we made um you know i i really want everyone to feel everyone who's involved to feel like they're being compensated well and um, because I want them to be invested in the project. Um, some uh, there were there were a few times where I thought, man, how can I, <laughs> how can I um, stay within my budget here? Um, but and and should I be doing this original score or not? I don't know. But um, 
yeah, it's 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 a huge time investment if you want to be involved uh, in in the decision making. And I am very much one of those um, founders who, who it, you know, probably to a fault, it, is wants to be really involved with everything that is out there um, and available to the public to see about our company and our product. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, we're definitely for, for the most recent video, we invested a lot of money, you know, thousands of dollars, probably over $10,000 into that video. <laughs> but what I'm, I'm just doing the math in my head really quick. Cause I haven't looked at, um, I'm not looking at, you know, our, 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 um, monthly statements or anything right now, but I, you know, it, it was a huge investment, but I think over over the five year to ten year span of time that we hope that video will work for us, I think it will definitely pay for itself. And um, you know, and, but the original video for the Kickstarter campaign that was just some friends, you know, working together. Mm-hmm. I asked I asked friends to be in it. We didn't pay actors for that. We just went over to a friend's house and and shot a bunch of friends um, and you know asked ask some people to come out to the coffee shop or the bookstore and film them there. Um, you know, that, and that's sort of, I think that's important. It's, it's interesting that, you know, in a way that the low budget video that we created was the more successful video. Uh, obviously we, I haven't even announced this new video. We haven't done a campaign with it. It's just sort of appeared on our website one day. Um, but it's working for us now on a day on a daily basis you know people come and they visit the website and that's one of the first things they see um but it's it's interesting to think about how the first video that we really just kind of threw together um on a low budget and there were a lot of things that went wrong with it some like one of the uh, scenes we were supposed to shoot at they had to cancel on us at the last second so we had to find a different place to shoot and uh we didn't have any money um, not that much time. So, but, but it was the, the heart of the project, I think carried that video through and made it successful. Um, you know, we were working with really standard equipment, just everybody's personal. We didn't rent any fancy things. Um, you know, it was just very straightforward. Um, and that I think is, it, it says a lot for what you can do with what's available to you. Yeah, I think uh, you hit it on the on the head where it is a big time and and capital investment, but it's not something that you can you just create once and then use it once. It can be extended for a very long time. You're you're projecting a five ten years, and it could probably exist on multiple different uh, platforms for you as well. Successful on on Kickstarter, successful on your website. Are there any other places that you try to get your video out to, or do you try to? cut it up in any way to fit into other other mediums sure yeah we um we haven't done any um we uh, i it's kind of a uh a weird thing with me where we haven't done any paid advertising yet but we're getting to the point now where we probably should but i'm having a hard time uh with the fact that i'll have to I'll have to stop saying that we haven't, we've never done any paid advertising. <laughs> so, but we have actually already created some really short Instagram videos um, from the footage that we took for the newest video um, by even just cutting out portions of that video, 
or are, are taking footage that we weren't able to use in the video and, and, um, and using it in different ways. And so we kind of just have a backstock of, of things that we can use in, in different environments, whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, um, which really are the only places I really imagine us doing any paid advertising um, in the future. Uh, but we still haven't really figured out the you know the specifics of, of that or how we're going to approach that. But um, but yeah, I mean, it was definitely a worthwhile investment. We have way more footage than we put in the video that we can continue to use and draw from. Uh, we're actually already uh, in the process of of developing more another video out of the footage that we that we um, made, uh, and all it'll take is basically for me to record new voiceover. Um, you know, we want to make a video specifically about the translation that we used. Um, and so I just need to, you know, record some new voiceover and then they can use the footage they weren't able to use for the, the video we have up on our site now. And, you know, it was, it was definitely a, a, a great investment and I feel mm-hmm. really good about it. Um, so, but yeah, and, and Facebook and Twitter and, and Instagram, I have been surprised. I think, uh, again, Shopify sort of lets you know where your traffic is coming from. A lot of it comes from Twitter, and it's been very organic because we don't do any kind of I, – I don't get on Twitter, promote my product or anything like that. It, it just people will post a photo of their books, and they'll sort of – or they'll say something nice about it and, and direct people to our site. Um, it's been sort of surprising. Twitter is sort of the last place I thought would be um, – where we, we would get customers, but we get a lot of traffic coming from Twitter. Yes, it's certainly not not one of the number one uh, social media platforms as of much lately. But that that that's impressive that it, a lot is coming from Twitter. Um, so when you are creating these these videos for specifically for ads, how do you approach it differently? How do you decide what? Because obviously you can't be seven minutes long this time when it's on on Instagram or Facebook uh, video ads. How do you decide what should go into that that shorter time frame? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Um, we struggled with that a little bit and had a little bit of back and forth um, with my video guys, where we're sort of trying to figure that out because we we want to bring the same kind of slow and relaxed feeling to the um, mm-hmm. Instagram ads, except it can't really be slow because people are literally scrolling down through their feed and they're just going to pass over it if you don't get to the point. Um, but what we have found actually is that when people just look at the product, they respond. Um, it, it kind of we found historically that it kind of captures people's attention. So our strategy for those shorter videos has been, all right, let's put the product in front of people right away, and that the the product sort of um, it begs the question, what is this thing? Um, it looks it looks like something I'd be interested in, you know, touching or pulling out and opening and seeing what's inside. Um, tell me more about it. That's kind of the reaction that we've gotten from people um, when they don't know anything about it and they see it, you know. And so that's sort of been our approach for the Instagram thing: is let's let's just put the product there up front, and then they can read more about it. So it's more it's more product focused uh, this time. It's more it's yes it's definitely more product focused. There's less of a roundabout kind of 
explanation and it's more like here's this thing it's almost like a surprise like we did a um we did a giveaway on instagram and it was just uh we posted a picture of the product and it's you know it said giveaway on the post and then it basically said win this bible and then yes it's the bible and that's kind of that's sort of like the surprising thing for people when they see mm-hmm. it and they think what that's that's not a bible i've never seen a bible that looks like that before and so that's kind of just that sort of piece is like the intriguing curiosity yeah that's that's the trick we play quote mm-hmm. unquote <laughs> right. uh, you know to get people's attention I like it. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time, Adam. So biblioteca.co, that's B-I-B-L-I-O-T-H-E-C-A.co is the website. Where do you want to see this go this year? Where do you want to take the, the products that you're creating, the, the company that you're creating? Where do you want to see it go this year? Well, Biblioteca is kind of, it's kind of be, become its own thing and it's kind of, uh, you know, it's still, it still requires some attention and a lot of customer service because we have a lot of customers um, and it's kind of a heavy product and there's shipping issues and things like that. So it, it, you know, it has a life of its own and we're maintaining it, but really what I want is to create something new this year <laughs> or several new things this year um and another goal that i have eventually for biblioteca is is um i think all the funding that we got on kickstarter allowed us to create a really really nice product um and we were able to deliver that to all of our kickstarter backers for the 75 dollar contribution they made or the 85 dollar pre-orders after the campaign and etc but um the backstock that we ordered kind of because we made everything super premium, we use all the nicest materials, all the inventory that we have, we kind of have to sell for a higher price to keep, to keep things um, moving to kind of, to pay for overhead and um, to, to make it worthwhile. So my goal also is to create a more affordable version of Biblioteca sometime in the near future, whether it's this year or in the next three or four years. Um, and we're, we're talking to actually some, some publishers who want to help us do that. So um, and kind of have the infrastructure to do that. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I'm ready to publish some other texts in um a really nice format and uh, I'm excited to launch a few new projects hopefully in 2018. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your time, Adam. Yeah, thank you, Felix. Thanks for having me. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. Go straight from Kickstarter to Indiegogo. So if someone saw like an old Facebook post, they could still have a way to buy the product even if the Kickstarter ended. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.